The reading this morning comes from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. This can be found on page 896 in the Pew Bible. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, good morning and warm welcome again to McLean Presbyterian. My name is James Forsyth. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's great to be with you here in our sanctuary, down in our fellowship hall, worshiping with us online. We're grateful for the time the Lord has given us to be together this morning. Uh, A quick note of celebration as we start out this morning. If you've been around our church for a number of years, you might remember that around about a decade or so ago, we did a a big big fundraising campaign to build our fellowship hall and some of the offices that are downstairs from there. And we paid some of that off, off, but then we also had a mortgage, a mortgage that was due to have a balloon payment uh, this month, September 2018. We should be staring down the barrel of about a a million dollar payoff to our mortgage. Well, because of uh, God's grace to your generosity. We paid that off in its entirety on June 17th, 2015. So that is very much in the rearview mirror and a great cause of celebration today, just to remember how good and faithful the Lord has been to us, providing for 
our every need. And honestly, uh, as senior pastor, uh, getting ready to embark on uh, another building program in 2019, it is encouraging to remember God's faithfulness, God's provision for us as, as a church. This morning, we continue in our series, Sensing Jesus. We've been looking at how the Gospel of John calls us to come and to see Christ, even taste Christ, to to touch him, and now this morning, to to hear him. The theme of hearing Christ in the Gospel of John is tied to this idea of of joyful obedience as we follow Jesus. As we uh, begin to reflect on this text, let's first bow our heads together and pray. Father, we have sung of your love for us, your love made known in Christ that has saved us full and saved us free, and a love that is so full that it has implications for our lives here today. Uh, The implications of the gospel, the consequences of the gospel aren't solely reserved for the future, though there are beautiful promises that do encourage us to persevere as we follow follow you, but uh, Lord, that your love changes things not just then, but now. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come to your word this morning, that you, that you would come and that you would be our teacher and that you would uh, speak that word of encouragement, maybe that word of challenge, perhaps even that word of rebuke. Lord, you know each of us this morning. Uh, you know the kind of morning we've had, the kind of day we've had, the kind of week we've had. Uh, you know what we need from your uh, hand today. So give us ears to hear, we ask in Jesus' name. Okay, John chapter 10, a famous passage in which Jesus uses the picture of a shepherd and his sheep to teach us about the essence of the gospel. A shepherd and his sheep, teaching us about what it means to be saved by him, but also what it means to follow him. Now, as we start, we need to realize that thus, this, for us, is perhaps a little bit of a, of a disappointing picture. Why? Because with the shepherd and the sheep, Um, we ain't the shepherd, right? Jesus uh, describes us as sheep. So people who maybe think that they're strong actually turn out, Jesus says, actually, we're not that strong. You ever seen anyone saddle a sheep, right? Ever seen anyone have a a sheep carry burdens? Uh, Sheep can't even protect themselves. Or for people who might like to think of themselves as as attractive, Jesus says, (laughs) Um, sheep, they're pretty ugly. Uh, sheep are pretty smelly. Like, have you ever actually met a sheep? Right? Um, not beautiful. Yeah. Um, or for a people who functionally often live like like we're invincible, Jesus says, hey, um, actually, sheep, daft creatures who can't even find their way home, let alone protect themselves. So we say, <laughs> welcome to the church. Right? We are the sheep, but the good news, of course, is that Jesus is the shepherd. He is pictured as the shepherd. And aren't the words used in this passage so tender, so beautiful? Look at verse 3. We see that the shepherd loves his flock. He calls his own sheep by name. It's great. We're not just, you know, any group of sheep, any flock of sheep. We are his own. To to us, Jesus says, okay, this might not be a particularly impressive group of individuals, but they're my not particularly impressive group of individuals. And I love them. And not only are they they corporately my own, but look, I've also called them by name. Isn't that good? That it's not just that we are a kind of anonymous, faceless gathering of Christians. No, we've been individually known by Christ. He knows 
our names this morning brought into the fold. And, and not only does he love this flock, but look at verse 11. He dies for the flock. I am the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And now we start to see how this picture of the the shepherd and the sheep is, is teaching us the very essence of the gospel. The shepherd who loves his flock, the shepherd who will die for his flock. And isn't it poignant, isn't it beautiful, even that he saves the flock. The shepherd saves the sheep by becoming the lamb, the lamb of God, who though he is strong, gives up all his power to clothe himself in, in human weakness. Who though he is attractive and beautiful, becomes marred and ugly, who, though he, he is invincible, humbles himself to death, even death upon a cross. The shepherd sh- saves his sheep by becoming as a lamb. And because he did, Jesus now carries our burdens. He now protects us. He now crowns us with beauty. He now shows us the way home. He gives us life everlasting. Jesus, in this picture, is teaching us about gospel love, showing us what it means to be loved by him, and we, we start this morning in this text just by asking, are, are, are we remembering the love of God for us in Christ this morning? Maybe that's a new thing, to discover that, that the main message God has for your heart this morning is one of care and concern and love for your soul. If you are a Christian, that's not a new thing, but maybe a thing that we've been forgetting, not waking up and living in the love that the shepherd has for us. This gospel context begins by showing us the shepherd and the sheep and his great love for us. Now we need to start with that idea, with that gospel reality, because into this context, Jesus is now going to say some hard things. Into this context, Jesus is now going to teach us um, the implications of that love or how we should live in light of his love for us. I have Three reflections from the text this morning. Let's look at them briefly together. The first thing that Jesus speaks into this context of gospel love, saying, I know you and I love you. So because of that, point one, Jesus calls us to then follow him. Jesus calls us to follow him. Look at verse three. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. When he has brought them all out, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Now, this idea of following Jesus is one that is brought out several times throughout the Gospel of John. In the very beginning of the Gospel, we see Jesus calling Philip to be his disciple and just simply commands him to follow me. In the middle of the gospel, we see those Greeks who approach Jesus and approach the disciples and say, we wish to see Jesus. And when they see Jesus, he says to them, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Or at the end of John's gospel, do you remember Jesus has risen, the disciples have been together on a beach, and Jesus has been talking to Peter and teaching him about all that he'll suffer for Christ's sake. And Peter turns and says, well, well if all this is going to happen to me, what's going to happen to John? What's going to happen to that guy? And Jesus says to him, basically, that's of no concern to you, but you follow me. 
From beginning to middle to end, Jesus calls his disciples in the Gospel of John to follow him. Now understand that to follow someone in Jesus' day meant to embark on a whole new way of life. To follow someone meant to embark on a whole new way of life. This isn't come some kind of like social media follow where Jesus is saying, hey, I need some instant numbers, come follow me. No, he's calling us to embark on a whole new way of life. In Jesus' day, their disciples would, would follow their master, would follow their teacher around. They would literally follow him. And they would do as he did, and they would live as he lived. They literally would leave everything. And we know this from the, the calling of the first disciples. They would leave their homes, their families, their work. They would leave everything behind in order to be with and become like their master. And that's what Jesus is calling us to when he says, follow me. A whole new way of life, like Philip, like the Greeks, like Peter. He's saying, if you hear my voice, if you're one of my own, then follow me. Be with me. Become like me. Embark on a whole new way of life, a life of joyful obedience. Now understand this morning the order of our points. First of all, we began with this idea of gospel love. It's only in light of gospel love that we are then called to follow God. We don't have to follow him in order to earn his love. We follow him because we already are loved. Those who know my voice, those who uh, are in relationship with me, these are the ones that must follow me. So understand if you're, if you're not a Christian this morning, the gospel doesn't begin by starting to obey God. That, that, that's the wrong order. This challenge, this call, is, is specifically towards Christians. He's saying if you would describe yourself as someone who knows Christ, then you must follow me. And I just wonder if we as Christians, you and I, how much we, how much we wrestle with this call to follow God. Or how often we fall into the kind of um, unhealthy passivity that would say, well, you know, we're saved by grace, so it doesn't really matter all that much how we live. We must understand that, yes, we're saved by grace, but we're saved so completely, so fully, so utterly that our lives today are now different. It's not just eternity that's different, but our lives today are different too. Grace doesn't just change eternity. Grace changes everything, including our lives here today. And we'll experience that. We'll experience that grace changes everything to the degree that we're actively following Christ. And so I ask myself and encourage you to ask yourself in your, in your private life, in those areas that, that no one else sees, are you seeking to figure out what does it mean to follow Christ in these areas? Or are you just sort of, you know, doing whatever comes naturally with your time, your money, and so on? Or in your family life, perhaps, are you actively trying to figure out what does it mean to, to, to live as, uh, faithfully following Christ as, uh, as a single person? What does it mean faithfully to, to follow Christ as, as a married person? What does it mean to raise kids faithfully following Christ? Or are our expectations for our singleness or our marriages or our children, are they just being formed by kind of what the culture says they should be? Or in our, our personal views, perhaps, this week of all weeks, are we trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus or are we allowing all our views just to be shaped by our political preferences? Or even here in the church, as a church, what kind of church are we? Are we a church that's really trying to figure out 
what does it mean to follow Jesus in this crazy day, in this crazy age? Or are we just hunkering down and being shaped by our preferences for tradition or even our preferences for innovation? How much does this notion that now that we've been saved, we're called to follow Christ, shape all that we are and all that we do? Because for all of us, it should be a challenge. Following Jesus is a challenge to everyone in our public lives, our private lives, whatever our family state, liberal, conservative, traditional, progressive all of us should be challenged by Jesus and what it means to follow him. What does it mean to do as he did? What does it mean to live as he lived? Are you spending time to be with him that you might become more like him? This is the challenge that belongs to every believer, to embark on a new life of joyful obedience. Jesus calls us, point one, to follow him. And point two if this was getting heavy and depressing, let's spend a little time on point two. Point one, yeah, Jesus calls us to follow him, but also point two, don't forget that we want the life that Jesus offers. We want the kind of life that Jesus offers. See, what comes into your mind when, when we talk about point one and we see Jesus call us in, in verse three to, to follow him? Are you thinking, well, well, you know, what kind of life do you think Jesus is calling you to? Is he calling you to a life where you mainly don't do the things that you actually want to do? And you mainly do a bunch of things that you don't really want to do? Do you have this idea that, that following Christ results in a kind of boring, stilted, unexciting life? Maybe you think, you, maybe you should have saved your conversion until your deathbed so you could have like really made the most of life, right? Is that the kind of thinking that you functionally fall into? Well, that's not the kind of thinking Jesus has in mind. Now look at verse 10. Listen to Jesus. He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came so that they may have life. And not just have life, but have it abundantly. Now, of course, we know that this verse has been misused and abused to promote a kind of health and wealth theology where Jesus came in order to give you a life that is healthy and wealthy and happy and dandy. And we know and emphasize once again that that is false, incorrect, heretical, blasphemous, and that the main problem with it is that it's not good enough. The main problem with it is that it's not good enough. Why? Because Jesus says abundant life. The term here, abundant, can also be translated as extraordinary or utterly. I've come that they may have extraordinary lives. I've come that they might live life to the uttermost. It's a term that actually carries the connotation of being except, excessive, um, superfluous, almost unnecessary. Uh, to follow Jesus, then, is to live an extraordinary, excessive, unnecessarily good life. It is life at its highest. It is life at its best. That's what Jesus came to give us, abundant life. Now, we say, okay, this life doesn't look like health and wealth. What does it look like? We could look at numerous places in the scripture, Jesus' teaching and the Sermon on the Mount and so on. Or we could just pick one verse. Let's pick one verse for today from Galatians 5. This is where Paul gives us nine marks of the abundant life. We sometimes refer to it as the fruit of the Spirit. And otherwise, in other words, what does a life look like if one is really following Christ? And Paul says, well, first of all, um, your life will be marked by love. 
by love. The abundant life is a life of love. So in a world of hate and anger and division, don't you want to be marked by love? And then Paul says, yeah, not just, not just love, but if you're following Christ, your life will also be marked by, by joy. And in, in a world where there's such brashness and harshness and, and angst, don't you want to be marked by joy? And then Paul says, oh, not only that, love, joy, also peace. Like, in our lives of, of angst and worry, don't, don't you wish you were marked by peace? Love, joy, peace. He says, patience. If, you, if you're a follower of Christ, you're marked by, life by, marked by, by patience. Does anyone here think, has anyone here have you had anyone ever tell them that they thought your life was really marked by patience? No. Like, does anyone have a kid who, if we said, what's your dad like, they'd be like, man, he's just so patient, right? I'm pretty sure that's never happened. <laughs> but don't you wish it did? Yeah. Or kindness, the fifth mark Paul gives us. In a world that, again, is so harsh and divisive, don't you want to be known as a, a kind person? And so on and so forth, we could go with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the kind of life that following Christ results in. This is the kind of fruit that will emerge in your life, the kind of person that you will be if you follow Christ. And I want that kind of life. Don't you want that kind of life? Someone says, oh, have you met James? They say, oh, no, tell me about him. Well, you know, he's just really loving, and he's really joyful. And he's full of peace. That dude is patient. That dude is kind. Don't you want that kind of description? Right? We, we want the kind of life that Christ offers. The abundant life that is simply a life that begins to look like his. Our well-being and our well-doing start to overflow into being like his. An extraordinary, excessive, unnecessarily good life. Life at its highest. Do you believe this morning nothing would make you happier than to actually follow Christ? Do you believe that? Nothing would make you happier, more satisfied, more fulfilled than to actually follow Christ. A major breakthrough in my life came when I started to believe this and, and I believe it and now I believe it and sometimes I don't believe it, okay? <laughs> I believe, help my unbelief. Um, but where I started to understand that the other voices I was listening to, what verse 5 calls the voice of the stranger, don't result in your flourishing. So when I listened to those voices that would say, hey, what's important is reputation and success. When I started to believe the lie that those things will make me happy, I don't flourish. When I listened to the voices that were saying, hey, indulgence and purity, these are the things that will bring you satisfaction. You believe the lie that, that joy is found in these physical pleasures. That they don't make you happy. You don't flourish. When I believe the voice of people-pleasing or control or the lie that you know, happiness is found at the top of the tree. How many of us have other voices that we're, that we're listening to? Other voices that, that we're listening to today. It's a thing that we've struggled with since the very beginning, since Eden itself, where Adam and Eve listened to Satan instead of believing that true happiness is found in God. Friends, following God is the only thing that will make you truly happy. And if you're seeking any other way, just know, hear me this morning, 
sin always holds out the promise of pleasure. Sin always overpromises and then always underdelivers every single time. Sin whispers that these things will, will be enjoyable, will work out for your good, but it will underdeliver every single time. It will let you down every single time. I've experienced this personally, and I've experienced it as a pastor. With folks in our church sit in my office saying, I don't understand how I made such a mess in my life. I don't understand how I got to where I am. And it's because the the spell of sin has taken over. They listen to those voices. And if that's where we are this morning, if that's where you are this morning, if you're looking to something other than God to make your soul fulfilled, allow that spell to break. Dallas Willard says, to depart from righteousness, to depart from a life where you follow Christ, is to choose a life of crushing burdens, failures and disappointments, a life caught in the toils of endless problems that are never resolved. Here is the source of that unending soap opera, that sometimes horror show known as human life. Other voices, verse 10, only steal and kill and destroy. Only with the voice of Christ is happiness found. Now you say, hey, James, um, following Christ though, that isn't all candy and roses. Like sometimes that's challenging and suffering. And I say, yes. And very often, that's where the deepest joy is found. Listen to one more quote, John Piper. What a tragic waste when people turn away from the Calvary road of love and suffering, from the road of following Christ. All the riches of the glory of God in Christ are on that road. All the sweetest fellowship with Jesus is there. All the treasures of assurance, all the ecstasies of joy, all the clearest sightings of eternity, all the noblest camaraderie, all the humblest affections, all the most tender acts of forgiving kindness, all the deepest discoveries of God's word, all the most earnest prayers, they are all on the Calvary road where Jesus walks with his people. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. On this road and on this road alone, life is Christ and death is gain. Life on every other road is wasted. Jesus calls us to follow him. And the abundant life, we, we want the life he offers. Third, final brief reflection this morning, is not only does Jesus call us to follow him, and not only do we want that life that, that he offers, but third, you know we can have that life. We, we can have that life now. Um, you know, Jesus isn't playing some sick joke where he kind of offers out this beautiful, incredible vision of life while secretly thinking, ha they will never make it, right? He's not, he's not playing a game with our hearts, playing a game with our souls, calling us to something that we could never achieve. No, he is offering us this abundant life, this excessive, lavishly good life filled with love, joy, peace, and so on, whereby we not only spend time with him, but become like him, where our lives are changed. He offers us that life, and he offers it to us now. How do we get it? Really simple answer. By following him. The path isn't some kind of like, there's no secret, there's no mystical experience, there's nothing on you know, another page that would tell us what the real, the, the real answer is, Jesus says, follow me. See, see here's, here's the problem many of us have. Um, many of us want the abundant life Christ offers. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We want the life he offers and then ignore the path that Jesus says will actually take us to. 
So we want the fruit of a Christ-like life without ever actually living like Christ. <laughs> it's as if we want to kind of magic our way to the finish line without being prepared to actually run on, on the journey. But perhaps an illustration will help at this point. Um, last week, I met Wayne Rooney. Now, if you don't know who he is, shame on you, right? Um, Wayne Rooney is a Hall of Fame level soccer player, uh, one of the most famous soccer players. If, you, if we were anywhere else but America, you'd all have heard of him, okay? All right? um, and uh, he played for the team that was like my favorite team growing up, and he was one of my soccer, favorite soccer players growing up. So imagine yourself about to meet one of your favorite, one of your favorite athletes, okay? Or someone else that you really admire because of what they've achieved. Now, it has to be because of what they've achieved. You can't pick a Kardashian, okay? Um, someone you really admire because of, because of what they've achieved, right? This is me standing in line getting ready to meet whoever you have, you have in mind. And it was great because I was like a wee boy, right? Um, part of Scottish culture, one of, the, one of the interesting contrasts between Scottish and American culture is that in Scotland, we kind of have a, I call it an anti-celebrity culture. We don't really have a celebrity culture. We kind of have more of an anti-celebrity culture where I, we're, we're not too impressed with people and we kind of take pride in sort of seeing mo everyone more on kind of this, the same ground, okay? So I'm standing in line kind of being, you know, sort of cool about this fact that's about to happen. And then I meet him and I'm like, <gasps> okay? <laughs> and it's great because as we're standing in line, it takes like an hour and a half, okay? Hour and a half. I'm standing in line like a wee boy watching all the other wee boys and it was fascinating to watch them because they were all pretending they were him, right? So, you know, some of them have his jersey with his, like, name and number on the back. They've got pictures of him that they're going to get autographed. They're, um, they're carrying all the products that he's endorsed, right? From soccer balls to cleats to hats. You know, they have everything Wayne Rooney. They talk about their favorite plays. They reenact them as we watch. But here's the thing. None of those things, none of those purchases, none of those things will ever make you as good at soccer as he is. Why? Because you don't achieve greatness by pretending to be great. You don't achieve greatness by just dressing up in, in greatness. And, you know, Wayne Rooney, your favorite athlete, they didn't achieve greatness that way either. How did they, how did they do it? How did they become great? They, they followed a path. Wayne Rooney has given his entire life to prepare his body and his mind to excel. Countless days, untold hours of training, often training in the rain. Eating right, sleeping right, working hard every single day in order to make this dream come true. He plays like it's effortless because of all the effort that he's put in. That, that's how you become great. He plays like he's effortless because of all the effort he's put into the game. We would laugh at anyone who thought they could just show up and be exceptional. And the same thing's true on the spiritual plane. The same thing is true on the spiritual plane. We don't get the exceptional fruit of Christ-likeness without following the path that Christ says will actually take us there. We don't just show up one morning as, you know, loving, joyful, peaceful people. It's the fruit that comes from following Christ and the path that he has laid out for us. And I just wonder how many believers 
expect to experience the fruit of Christ without doing the training of Christ. As those who are already loved, as those who have already received grace, to get up each day and walk in this grace, to follow him. So to actually be a people, what does this look like? To actually be a people who worship. Individually in our own time, spending time in his word, time in prayer, time fasting, following these spiritual disciplines that actually need the gospel into the dark parts of our hearts and of our lives. Uh, worshiping corporately, gathering together like this. Did you know, I heard a stat this week, 15 years ago, 15 years ago isn't that long ago, right? The average church member in America would attend church three out of every four Sundays, okay? 15 years ago. Today, that number has dropped to 1.17 out of every four Sundays. Meaning that members who consider themselves a regular part of a church will go to church a little over on average once a month. Why? Because life gets busy and sports gets busy and everything takes over and we stop going. And then we find ourselves saying, okay, I never really spend time with Jesus on a daily basis and I never really spend time with his people on a corporate basis and yet I'm surprised that I'm not showing Christ-like fruit in my life. We say, why are you surprised? It looks like worship. It looks like community. It looks like sharing our lives with others, serving others in, in these relationships so that we can learn what it means to actually live out the commands of Christ in, in our lives. It looks like mission where we learn to give generously of our resources, generously to the poor, where we give ourselves away, where we start to actually do, you know, read, just read the Gospels. Read the Gospels and see what Jesus spends all his time doing. He spends all his time doing things for other people. And we say, oh, there's no patience in my life. And we're surprised by that when, when you never do anything for anyone else. <laughs> you see the challenge. Ooh, prodding myself in the chest this morning. Prodding you as well to say, why would we think that we would have Christ-like fruit if we don't follow the path that he's laid out before us? And yet, we can't. Because this isn't rocket science. These are things that we can, we can all do on a daily basis. Encouraging one another as we go. Figuring out what it means together to follow him. To live a life that's like the life of our king. I'm out of time. Two questions. Christian, number one. Where in your life right now do you recognize that you need to follow him? And just pick one thing, okay? Don't get overwhelmed with 50,000 things. Just pick one thing. What was one way in your life that you recognize, yeah, I'm not really following Christ? With your family, perhaps? With your money? With your free time? In your job? Pick one thing. Question number two, how can you start following him there today? How can you start following him there today? Over time, you'll develop the spiritual strength that will free you to live abundantly. Here's the sermon. The love of God is lavished on us freely. Freely by his grace. We are daft sheep. He is the good shepherd. We need never fear that we have to earn his affection or love. And those who have received that affection of love, those who have been welcomed into his own flock by name, should now take this grace and seek to knead it into every corner of our lives. Hear his call to follow. 
We want the life he offers, and we can have it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, grace is, is full-orbed and complete and comprehensive so that it does bring change not just to eternity but also here to time. And we want to be a people, Lord, who hear this call to follow you today with our lives. And a people, Lord, who are compelled to do that because we want the kind of life that you offer. We want to be uh, people like you. <laughs> we want to not just be with you, we want to become like you. And Lord, we thank you that, that we can do that. You're not playing some kind of joke on us, Lord, but you lay out in your word the training that we should uh, gladly endure in order to produce fruit in our lives. So, Lord, uh, would each of us who would claim the name of Christ be seeking actively to follow you faithfully, living lives of joyful obedience? We ask in your son's name. Amen.